Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Table 442 podcast. My name is Joe Fish. I'm joined today, as always, by Aaron Pretty. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm not bad, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Ex- excited, actually, because as well as the two of us on the show today, for the first time ever, we are going to have a special guest. Yeah. Um, our mutual friend, Pete, he's going to join us a little bit later on. Um, he, he's been one of the biggest... I'd say supporters, retweeters, advocates, um, constructive criticizers of the podcast so far, giving us really good feedback. So uh, it's really good to get him on. Um, Pete is a a Man U fan, a big Man U fan, and he questioned last week my claim on the pod that this current Spurs side is the worst that Jose Mourinho has managed. Um, So we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about that in the Fun Bind 11 later on. Jose Mourinho theme, the Man United 17-18 uh, side and the uh, and the Tottenham side of this season. Um, let, we're also bringing back Garden League this week after week off, and I feel I've got a strong shout, Aaron. So I'm, I uh, think I'm I'm, I'm quite happy with my one, mate. I wouldn't be too confident yeah? just yet. Oh, nice! Both of <laughs> us bringing the A game this week could be good. Could be good. Um, and then, as always, we'll be uh, we'll be starting with uh, this week on WhatsApp. The big football news, which has hit the chat this week. Um, we've tried to avoid it in the first few weeks of the pod, but I'm not sure we can avoid it any longer. We need to talk about VAR. Yeah, so uh, I think that's where we need to start, Aaron. Talk talk me through the Thomas Suchek, Mike Dean, Jan Bednarek, David Louise going to the screen, not going to the screen, appeals overturned, all the nonsense of it all. It's Please just... clarify it for the nation. It, I mean, how do you clarify it? It's an absolute nightmare at the moment, isn't it? It's just, it's taken away from pretty much every game it's involved in. It, it's so bad. I um, I couldn't believe it when I saw the, the Suchek thing. I'd, I'd, I'd seen he'd been sent off. I didn't watch the game, but I'd seen that he'd been sent off and I saw a few messages in the group saying like, oh, wow, have you seen that decision? And then I saw it and I thought to myself, nah, that, that, that surely that can't be it. And it, and it was, and it was yeah. so much worse than I'd, than I'd imagined it, it could be. It was, yeah, it was horrendous, and it's just it's every I, game at the moment. I was going through that exact process, but live, like watching that game, seeing it in real time, and thinking, oh, that didn't seem to be much of that. Seeing it being replayed on the telly, thinking, oh, well, you know, there's no way this is going to go to go to bar. Then it going to the screen and thinking, oh, there's no way Mike Dean's going to give yeah. this, and then him giving it and thinking. Oh yeah, of course he's given it. It's just Mike Dean, but it was it was particularly baffling that one. And the fact that you know, this this week that we've seen two instances of referees being sent to the screen, having a look at it, um, like making the decision, and then that being overturned yeah. by appeal. So it's like two shocking. two referees have looked at it multiple times, got it wrong still. So. What is what is VAR even there for it's at that point? Horrible, isn't it? I mean, Mike Dean's had two red cards rescinded in the space of four days. Yeah, but the, it's yeah. it's shocking. And the thing is, it, it just keeps happening. I mean, if 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 I was to make two big mistakes like that in my job, uh, that have to be sort of rectified or, or overturned four days later, I'd be I'd be in trouble. But these yeah. guys seem to and. I, I don't like to just jump on rest because it's, it's it's not an easy job. It's not one I'd like to do. But at some point, there has to be some accountability because it's getting out of hand. It, it's constantly, it's every game. It's not just the stupid decisions where, oh, the edge of his armpit is a little bit offside, so we're not going to give that goal. It's it's these ones, like you say, the, the going over to the monitor and re-watching something 20 times and then making a decision. If you've got to watch something that many times, it's not clear, so you can't make, yeah. you can't give the decision. There lies the answer, surely. It has if to you be. have to watch it that many times, you have to you have to give the benefit of the doubt to the player. And I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I sympathise a little bit with Mike Dean because having been, having had his decision overturned on the Bednarek um, red card, then um, what's he going to do then when he's sent to the screen by VAR, which is basically saying actually, Mike we think this is a red card. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, I mean, it would take a very brave official then to to yeah. not go with that VAR recommendation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And then he's been made to look stupid because he has gone with it mm. and they've overturned it. So, you know, it, it's, it's really difficult because I think we've talked, we, we've discussed privately before, like the, the difficulties with the process and mm. the referees rarely want to undermine each other. And they've got this kind of referees mafia. Yeah. But actually, yeah, the process is flawed, but also I think it's become clearer than anything in the last couple of weeks that just the standard of officiating is just not good enough. That's yeah. probably the biggest culpability behind it all. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it, we are getting to it. Like, people can be melodramatic over it, but we are getting to a like, you know, in inverted commas, the game's gone yeah. kind of stage with yeah. it. People are really losing patience. Um and I think like, we, we have to remember as well that the laws of the game are there, you know, they're, they're there for the enjoyment of the fan. They're there to mm-hmm. you know, facilitate the enjoyment of the game for the fans and the players. They're not there to make sure that everything is done to the letter of the law yeah. effectively. Like, I mean, that sounds really silly, but, but it's, the, it's the law, yeah. Yeah, we, we, it's not to make things difficult. It shouldn't be making things difficult for players. It shouldn't be making things difficult for managers. It shouldn't be making things difficult for fans to understand. Mm. That's not what the laws of the game are there for. And I think at the moment, the laws are wrong and complicated and they're being enforced in a very kind of legal way in that mm. like a barrister would see regulations yeah. and look at them and, and apply them to the letter of the law rather than using any sort of experience from that these referees have within the yeah. game lack of common sense and and, la- and a lack of common sense like it's really easy to say but it, it, there's just a lack of common sense i saw a clip on twitter sorry if i'm rambling on here but i i, I saw a clip on twitter from i think it was the bundesliga and a guy had a shot wide and there were substitutes warming up behind the goal. And the guy, uh, the substitute controlled the ball as it was going wide. It was 10, 15 yards wide of the post. Mm. And he controlled it. But because he touched it before it left the pitch, a penalty was given. Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Just, yeah. I mean, you're going to say a yellow card or something, not penalty. No, a penalty was given. And then the, and the chap steps up, slots the penalty home with like no shame whatsoever. <laughs> I just gave a massive celebration for it as well. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I kind of rated, but kind of hated at the same time. Um, it just likes that, that it's that lack of common sense approach, yeah. and people are just getting tired of it, so. of it constantly. Where, where where would you take VAR now as a, as a supporter? You know, who, who supports a side that doesn't have VAR in their division? Yeah, I mean, where would you take VAR now? There's absolutely a need for it because, like I mentioned the other week, there's so many times in the championship where things happen and you're like, oh, if we had if we had VAR, that had got picked up. Like the Blackburn player nearly taking Dale Fry's head off. The ref somehow missed it, wasn't given. There's no yeah. red card, no penalty, goal kick given, whatever. With, with VAR, that gets given, the player gets sent off, we get a penalty, the, the game's totally different. So I think there is a need for it, for instances like that. But as it is right now in its current iteration, it's not helping anybody. It's just, it's annoying the fans, it's pushing people away. It must be rubbish for the referees as well. Like, yeah. I'm sure Mike it, Dean's not at home now buzzing with himself about making those mistakes that have been overturned. It, they probably hate it just as much as we do. But absolutely, that's a great point. There needs to just be, there needs to be a change. And I don't, I don't have all the answers to what that change is. Um, I think we've touched on common sense. There has to be. Rather than applying everything to the letter of the law, a little bit of common sense brought in. There's no way that Mike Dean's a football fan first, first and foremost. He's a football fan. Everyone sees him at Tranmere games in the crowd. He's a football yeah. fan. He would surely be livid if a Tranmere player got sent off for that that he sent Suchek off for. He must yeah. know that looking at that, oh, that, that not a red, but he, I, I feel that he must feel he has to give the red because to the letter of the law. Yeah. And I think. There just needs to be, like we've said, a step back. Don't try and be so rigid and apply everything to the letter. You need a little bit of common sense. Look at that. Use your, ex- use your experience yeah. as well. Mike Dean's been a senior official in the Premier League for a long time. Exactly. That's the like, thing. It's he, not like he, he must have seen a lot of instances like that. Yeah. And never thought it was a red card before, but he's been sent over to the screen now and he's been forced to make a decision. I think, like Carragher had, had a really good tweet, which was the, um, I think it was Carragher, 
he said that VAR was supposed to come in and help referees, but all it's done is shown them to be worse. You know what I mean? Like, the, I think the opinion of referees now is worse than it's ever been. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And totally. VAR has exposed that for all, uh-huh. the, all the mistakes that they make. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it really is looking at, I think, first and foremost, the, the rules, the laws need looking at, and then the process for which in which VAR is applied needs looking at. I'd, I'd like to see football go down the route which it, which other sports which have successfully mm-hmm. introduced this kind of technology like cricket and tennis yeah. uh, about like players reviewing it themselves or managers reviewing it and therefore if it's not somebody at, like in Stockley Park saying in Mike Dean's ear all right we need to have a look at this Mike there's still at least then one person officiating that game so it's not like Lee Mason might made the decision over the red card and Mike Dean's got to stick with it or then Mike Dean's made a decision over a penalty and Lee Mason overrules him. So there's two different people officiating that game. At least if Mike Dean was the referee and mm-hmm. then, you know, um, David Moyes could say, say if he gave the red card or if he didn't give the red card like he didn't. And Scott Parker said, can we have a look at that, please, Mike? We'll use our review up for the game to look at that red card. Yeah. And then Mike Dean went to the screen. I think you'd get rid of this a lot of like referee mafia and the undermining of each mm-hmm. other potentially um, and that element of it. But, mm-hmm. I th- uh, you know, I, th- I think we're a long way from that, but something, something's got to be done, I think, because yeah, people are really at the, the end of their tether with it. Um, let, let's try and talk about the football then from the weekend rather than the mess that, yeah, that was far. Um, a massive win for Man City at Anfield. We both predicted them as champions a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I don't think we were you're not like visionaries by predicting yeah. that, but we're we're on the right track there, aren't we? They they look pretty unstoppable. I think Klopp himself said, didn't he, after the game, that they're the champions. And they just look unbeatable at the moment. And when you think of the fact that no no Aguero, no De Bruyne, um mm. still playing this well. Foden yeah. was was outstanding, absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Gundogan was great, carried on his form. I think he's top scorer in the league is he since Christmas? Gundogan, I think. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely City's top scorer as well. So and he's he's on fire. They just look unbeatable at the moment. They've sorted the defense out. They just look great. Yeah, if only they had a, a decent penalty taker. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think you know, like five points clear of the game in hand now. Obviously, is a nice cushion, but not. Insurmountable, yeah. especially in a season which has seen a lot of clubs go through spells where mm-hmm. even City, right at the start of the season, of you know real lean form patches. Yeah, but I think I don't think there's a team, even if City did dip for a period, and they've shown now that that might not happen with the fact that they're you know going through this no De Bruyne, no Aguero stage, and still picking up a lot of points. Yeah. I don't think there's a team that's going to be consistent enough like Liverpool were a couple of years ago yeah, to realise 12, 12 wins or something on the bounce. Yeah, I don't exactly think it. United have quite got that consistency. They obviously put a really good run together before Christmas, mm-hmm. but a lot of those results were kind of by one goal. Um, you know, so I, and I think now they're coming on the other side of that where they're actually being the better side, but not necessarily getting the results. So yeah. I don't think they'll string together results. Liverpool, I think, are the only team capable of doing that at their peak. Yeah. I so just, there'd have to be a massive change in Liverpool yeah, quickly. They're just not the same team, are they? I think they're just burned out. Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries, well-documented, but other teams have had injuries as well. City have had injuries in previous seasons. They've had massive spells without De Bruyne, Laporte, yeah. where he was pretty much their only capable centre-back. Um, Aguero is very injury-prone. Um, but City have still managed to go on and win titles and stuff. So I, I obviously missing Van Dyke and whatnot. It is going to be having an effect, but I think they just look burned out more than anything. I think yeah. after three years of pushing for things, they had obviously the 17-18 got to the Champions League final, got beat. Um, they won the Champions League the year after. Sorry to mention it, mate. Um, and then obviously, <laughs> obviously last season won the Prem. That's that's three sort of very intense seasons, and I think that. Yeah with the injuries, with the disruption around COVID and stuff, I think they just look a bit burnt out. Yeah, I don't think... Um, I think Roy Keane said some comments which were probably deliberately provocative but yeah. about them being bad champions. I think they've got... They've definitely got 
I wouldn't say excuses, but factors they can point to, which, you know, have really crippled them yeah. and not allowed them a fair crack at it. Uh-huh. I don't think anybody's saying that this Liverpool team has passed it or, you know, um, it's, it's got complacent or anything like that. I think they've just had, you know, a set of circumstances which they've not been able to respond to as other teams have. And maybe their circumstances have been a little bit more difficult with those key injuries. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think like they're, they're the only side, I think, that, that could put a run together to challenge City, but they would have to change something yeah, and in a big way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they, they will. So it looks like City's title to lose. Yeah, agreed. Um, what about, you know, there was the United dropping points at Everton. Yeah. They're, they're obviously second in the league at the moment and on paper City's closest challenges. What did you make of that United um, draw? I mean, I thought it was a cracking game. For, for the neutral, it was a, a barnstormer. Um, I thought United looked all right, just... Same as always, they just look shaky at the back. Um, you can be as good as you want going forward, but if your defenders can't defend, then your goalkeeper, De Gea, I had him at fault for I think it was the first and the third goals. Yeah. If you if you're leaking goals like that, there's only so much you can do attacking wise to to remediate that, and I think it will be an issue they have going forward. Big big calls to be made on De Gea now. What's your What's your view on, on that one? I think he's undoubtedly gone backwards. Um, he was, I agree, probably the best goalkeeper in the world a couple of seasons ago. Um, and I think really since the transfer to Madrid fell through at the last minute where the facts didn't go through, um, yeah. he's sort of not quite been the same since. Um, and yeah. yeah that, that, also, that also robbed him a place in last week's from buying deadline day 11, which I'm yeah. sure would be a massive blow to him. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- and I think that's probably why his head's gone down. Yeah, yeah, naturally. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's obviously a call to be made there. Those, I think United fans are I think, ready to give Henderson a chance. Yeah, I know um, Pete, uh, we might mention it later, but Pete was saying he probably thinks it's time to give Henderson a chance. Um, he yeah. was absolutely brilliant last season, Henderson. Um, yeah. I, I think I think we're seeing that even more now, actually, by the fact that Ramsdale has gone in and United, Sheffield United, have plummeted a yeah. little bit. And they're not that different aside to, no, to really not. apart from apart from in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Henderson looks almost even better now. Yeah, in hindsight, than he did back than he yeah, did back then. Stocks risen without even playing. I think we we yeah, mentioned exactly. how Sheffield United had been quite unlucky in a lot of one 0 losses or losing yeah. by the odd goal and whatnot and you think yeah. if they had Henderson in goal how many of those 1-0 losses would he have been able to to make a difference in yeah well, let's see if Ollie gives him the chance to make a difference for United in the running as well mm-hmm. right moving on we're bringing back gardening leave after a week away this is the part in the show where both Aaron and I um, suggest something from the game of modern football that we would like to see sent away on gardening leave and never come back. So, so far we've had um, championship referees, um, we've had short corners and we've had yellow cards for celebrations. So we'll each take it in turn to, to pitch our idea to you and then uh, we'll put a poll out on Instagram and Twitter for you guys to decide which shall we send on gardening leave. You can follow us on Instagram at table442 and on Twitter at table44t1. So, Aaron, confident with your pitch this week by the sounds of it? Let's hear it. I am, yeah. So, it's a relatively new one, but it's one that really annoys me and I'm just hoping the the listening public have the same reaction. And it's... It players posting like changing room selfies, looking <laughs> really buzzing, like in a like a big huddle or whatever. After like every game, like yeah. Arsenal playing Hartlepool in like the early rounds of the FA Cup or something, and scraping like a one nil win in the ninety sixth minute, and then on Instagram yeah. they'll all be there huddled around. And it's like right, I could understand that if you've just won the Champions League or you've just turned over a rival on their patch or something, but beating you know Chorley Town one nil, like don't. <laughs> There's no need to go for the gram for it and bust out your new dance moves, Jesse Lingard. Like I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a good one actually because then it's almost like those like those celebrations. Like there's nothing like 
instantly wrong with him, but they completely undermine any any celebrations when they when it's actually a big game. Yeah, exactly. Like so, if you're doing that in, like you say, in the FA Cup against Chorley, what do you do when you go to Anfield and win? Exactly. That's the thing. What do you do? Pop in the champagne after beating, yeah, Chorley one 0 in the FA Cup. Great. Yeah, you yeah. won. Be happy. But I don't know. I just feel it's. I'm. I'm probably getting a bit old, Joe. Maybe I don't fall in, <laughs> into like the Instagram generation anymore, but I just feel like in an Alex Ferguson dressing room, if they went and beat some team 1-0 in the FA Cup, Roy Keane's not going to be popping pictures on Instagram. There was like a certain level of expectation and professionalism and stuff, and the mind was already on the next game. Whereas now it feels like they're more bothered about putting, you know, like a video of like a dance move on Instagram or whatever after the game. And I don't know. I, yeah, I'm probably just getting a bit old, but... I don't like it one bit. Yeah, totally. I can totally see that. And it's like, it's not just, like, I think that is definitely the worst in this category, but generally any post-game social media content from players is a little bit annoying. Like, yeah. so there's the, there's the post-win selfie in the changing rooms or there's the post, you know, post-win tweet, you know, important goal and uh, important three points and a goal. We move on. Like, yeah. what? What is that? Like, what does it add? Mm. And then, like, the apologies when they don't play well yeah. as well. This isn't us. We'll be back stronger and stuff. It's just like exactly. Oh, like, I just think, you know, and I appreciate these guys have got massive followings, and the fans really do appreciate it when they actually kind of communicate. The fans will feel they're communicating with yeah. them by saying that. But some of the content is a bit just like, oh, you know, it's, it's just cringeworthy. It is a bit cringeworthy. Yeah. Um, what's yours yeah I think that is a good shout um, but mine is on a kind of similar vein in that it's to do with kind of like the Twitter a little bit of the Twitter sphere um, and it's basically this um, thing of like people always saying about how much football is earned yeah okay. right so what football is earned can be an excuse for anything just uh -huh. because they earn a lot of money so it's like Oh, you know, well, these, I mean, they're, they're fatigued, you know, they played three games in a week. Well, why should they be, you know, these are professional footballers, they're in 200 grand a week. Why should they be fatigued? Like, like that's relevant. Yeah. No, there was one about, I, I mean, Alisson, Alisson made a couple of stinkers at the weekend yeah. and he'd been, he'd missed the midweek game with sickness. Mm -hmm. And I think Gary Neville made the point of saying, saying in his podcast that, um, or on Sky Sports after the game, that you know, yeah, that's a fair point. He'd been down with sickness, that you only need to be 10% off. Yeah. At that um, yeah, that level to make the wrong judgment or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like all the comments on the on the YouTube video are like, what do you mean he's been sick? Like he owes 200 grand a week. Like he shouldn't <laughs> be sick. Get out there, pull the shirt on. Like all the fans would love to. There's millions of fans would love to do that. Like these footballers right. are, are just yeah. exempt yeah. from, you know, any sort of sickness or fatigue or any sort of criticism just because of the amount of money they earn. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I, I, I appreciate it. It's like obscene amounts of money. Yeah. But also, like, why shouldn't they be paid that much? Yeah. When that's how much money is in the game, where, why shouldn't that go to the players rather exactly. than sit in the They, they generate that money. It's, it's the same as Tom Cruise getting paid 30 million a, a movie or whatever. Because yeah. he's the star, he's the draw, he's what you go and watch. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're worth the money. Yeah, I think so. So I think they're two good shouts. Yeah. But if anybody else on Twitter or Instagram has got um, a shout they would like to put in contention for this week's Garden League, you can uh, you can get involved by tweeting or, or, or Instagramming your suggestions to us and we'll put them up in a poll later in the week to vote on them and then next week we'll send one of them to gardening leave. Two, two good shouts there, Aaron, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with them. They're a bit more niche as well, rather yeah. than me just going on a rant about referees. Yeah. Giving you a chance this yeah. week is what I'm saying, mate. Yeah, it's like going on to BBC's Room 101, which, by the way, is nothing like... Oh, what's 101? Um, Not nothing that. like gardening leave, our legal advisor told us to say, <laughs> and saying like, you know, rape and murder and war going yeah. in with... Um, going in with VAR and stuff but um, yeah and no, I think they're two good ones so mm -hmm. let's see what the Twitter sphere say about that right on to our final section of the show uh, our fun bind 11 and I'm pleased at this point to welcome to the podcast for the first time a big supporter Pete Wildman how are you doing Pete yeah good thanks good thanks mate how are you both 
Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for for joining us. So we're going to do have a look at that kind of mini Twitter exchange, which we started last week, which is when I said on the pod that I think this Tottenham side in defence of Jose Mourinho a little bit was the worst squad Jose's worked with. And um, and you kind of, I wouldn't say you argued the point, but you questioned whether actually is this United squad that he got second in the league, is that is that just as bad as this Tottenham squad or just as average, let's say. So um, mm-hmm. we're going to get into that shortly. Um, but I think um, let's just start off with like, what, what are your memories of that United side at the time? And do you think, back any differently on it now if that makes sense um yeah, yeah I see where you're getting from there I think at the time what we were looking for as United fans is kind of what Mourinho came in and did in the fact that we knew that wasn't a squad that was going to get us anywhere in the future it wasn't sort of ready to, to challenge for the title but we wanted initially Mourinho to come in and sort of steady the ship get us back on track get us back in the top four and then start to sort of attract the big name players and the players that would come in and make a difference and get us back to sort of, yeah, fighting for titles, fighting for the Premier League, essentially. Yeah, well, I think I think at the time, like there was the expectation that because it was Mourinho, maybe from outside of United, that he was going to, and especially because of that Guardiola duel that the media liked to hype up so much, that he was going to turn United into title challengers. And when he didn't, obviously then a few months later, obviously a few more things happened and he ended up being in mid-table mm-hmm. when he was stacked. People thought he did a bad job. But then in reflection after the Ollie honeymoon period and United kind of slipped into that, you know, sixth, fifth, sixth position for a bit, did people then look back and think Jose perhaps did a better job than people may have first thought? Yeah, I think well, he came out with a comment, didn't he, around the time to say that actually that was his biggest achievement, finishing second with that United team. And a lot of people kind of laughed that off at the time. But as yeah. you say, once the, the Ollie honeymoon period ended and we were kind of slumped back into that same same run of finishing fifth, sixth, whatever, it was it was quite apparent that that squad wasn't good enough and it was a pretty good achievement for him to get second. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more a little bit more about that squad as we go into the into the team. So just to completely clarify in the background, I'm a Spurs fan arguing effectively why this Tottenham squad is worse. <laughs> and you're a Man U fan arguing why your Man United squad in 17-18 is worse. So this is going to be a slightly odd Dynamic to the combined 11, combined 11, I must say. Um, and I think we're definitely going to need Aaron to mediate this. Yeah, I'll be there. So, Final um, say on any ties. Yeah. Um, right. Aaron, do you want to start us off? Yeah. So, Pete, you're the guest. Do you want to go first? Do you want to let us know who you've got in goal and why? Um, I think for me, probably Joe, probably the same view that a goalkeeper was probably the easiest for me to put in, I think, I'm going to go with De Gea. I think this was expected towards the end of where he was at the peak, where he was hopefully, I mean, hopefully United fans, he may get back there, but not looking, looking good the last couple of seasons. But yeah, that season, he was the golden glove in the Premier League. He had 18 clean sheets. He was in the Premier League team of the season. He won United's team of the season to the Matt Busby Award for the fourth time in five years. Jeez. And he's the only player that's ever won it four times. Um, so yeah, I think there's a fair argument to have been made at that point that Mourinho had the best goalkeeper in the world at his disposal. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Pete. I think, as you said, a really key point there is that is that he probably, it was probably just the end of his peak years. He's not made a PFA team of the year since, but at the at that time and probably the year before, certainly maybe was his peak was he was considered the best goalkeeper in the world. Mm-hmm. So walks into this side. I think Lloris has being a very good goalkeeper for Spurs. You have to, you have to excuse the uh, the dog that's there. A problem for when you're recording from home. Um, he's Yeah, he's been one of the best, better goalkeepers in the league for, for quite a few years. But I think certainly when Spurs were pushing for the title in that sort of 15, 16, 16, 17 spell, and I, I made a comment to my friend once and it surprised him. It was like, if we had De Gea and not Lloris... I think we might have won a league title one of those two years. I think he's, mm-hmm. he's he was at that point a real step up on Lloris, and Lloris is on a down has been on the downward decline, same as the hair recently. So I think yeah, I think the hair walks into that side, and as you can tell, 
my dog Rufus completely completely <laughs> agrees. Um, here's a quick question for you, Pete, and it's something me and Joe touched on earlier in the pod. Do you think it's time for De Gea to be benched and Henderson to be given a shot in the, the United team? It's tough. I mean, the people have been suggesting that for, for a while now, obviously with Henderson being back at United this season. The game this week was probably, yeah, the Everton game was probably the first time it's crept into my head Okay, and thought... Again, this has happened. It's got back. I mean, he cost us the, the, the points there in a crucial game where we need to pick up as many points as we can. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a goalkeeper who is first team ready, on it's not like do we bench him and just put the backup in. There's a guy that sat there behind him who is who's shown that he's capable to step in and, and be a first choice goalkeeper in the Premier League. Okay. So I'm not quite to the point where I'm saying let's do it, but it has. I think that Everton game was the first time it's come into my mind to think we need to stop thinking about this now. Fair. Fair enough, yeah. I don't think anyone could argue with that. Right, we'll move on. Joe, your turn to go first. So, do you want to give us your full-backs, left-back and right-back? Yeah, so I've got one of each here. Um, I've gone with Antonio Valencia at right-back. Um, was approaching the end of his career by this point, but he still made 31 league starts for United, which was the third most by any outfield player. So, he was clearly trusted by Mourinho. Um I think Serge Aurier has improved for Tottenham this season. He certainly enjoyed a really good run of games when Mourinho like, executed that low block well in, against City, Chelsea, Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, he's, still, he's still liable to a clangor. And I think he's made a few more mistakes than people have realised this year. They've just gone unpunished. And I, I was really surprised the other week when there was the, you know, the media reports of... Um, of the fallout between Aurier and Mourinho at Anfield, that so many Spurs fans were going to bat for this guy. Like, yeah, he's having a decent season now, but he's like indebted to us for three pretty awful seasons beforehand. So I don't think this, this run of form would supersede somebody like Valencia, who was a really good pro, even though he was perhaps aging at the time. So I've got Valencia on the right and on the left, I've gone for Sergio Reguilon. So, um, I don't think United really had a, a recognised left-back at the time. Shaw didn't play much, obviously got a bit of the Mourinho treatment and certainly isn't the player that he is today, which is arguably the best left-back in the league. Um, but Reglon's really improved the side at Spurs. Um, mm-hmm. Left-back's been an issue for us for a couple of seasons since kind of peak Danny Rose um, got sent into exile. He's, like, he's, he's quick, he's got a lot of energy, he's got quality on the ball, he's put in some really good crosses for Kane. Um, and I think I think he's um, he's been a miss as well in the last couple of weeks when yeah. Spurs have when obviously we spoke last week about the lack of creativity in that Spurs side without Kane. Regulon's also a very creative player for us, so I, I'd be I think he's going to take some budging from the left back spot, uh, and I'd go Valencia on the right hand side. Yeah, two good shots there. What about you, Pete? Who have you got in at fullback? Um, so I've gone the two Spurs fullbacks. Thinking, thinking back to that season, I'll start off at right back where it's probably a bit more contentious. But like, as like Joe said, Valencia played 31 games that season, but that was probably more necessity that there wasn't anyone else to play right back. Ashley Young, who had been had been sort of filling in at right back, left back, was sort of our auxiliary left back, and there's no one else really to play the right back position. It was effectively his last season at United. I think he made about six appearances the following year, then was then sort of moved back to Ecuador his home country but I mean I'm not doing Valencia a disservice he, he he was a fantastic player for United he was a I think it was Van Hall originally moved him back to right back in sort of 14-15 and he quickly took to that position and within a couple of years he was I mean I would I'd argue with my friends back then he was the best right back in the league in sort of 14-15-16 I think there's a quote from Mourinho that says that Valencia was the best right back in world football at one point I think in his first year at the club but that specific season in 17-18, his, his sort of age sort of caught up with him. He lost a bit of his pace. Yeah. And I think the main thing of why he succeeded at right back was that he was just quick, strong, and he was just consistent. We'd get up and down. He'd get down the line. He'd do his famous drilled cross into the box. Mm-hmm. But that kind of all fell away in that year. And I, I just don't think he was quite the player that he, he once was at United. Um, I have Aurier slash Doherty down. I was going to... So I, I don't know which one you think is a better player there, Joe, but 
I would have happily taken either of those playing right back for United that season. Yeah, I mean, well, I think all Spurs fans are really happy with the Doherty piece of business that was done in the summer, like 16 million quid from Wolves for like someone who's probably been the second best attacking right back in the league over the last couple of seasons behind Trent. Um, it's just not worked for him so far. And I think he arrived, like Wolves played deep into the season in the Europa League. Doherty played almost every game, like 50, 55 game season, I think he had. I think he arrived a bit out of shape. Okay. Took him a while to get going. Aurier got his place in the team and performed well for a number of weeks. And Doherty's not been able to get a run of games since. Like as a lot, like as a long-term bet, I would rather have Doherty on the side. Um, I've seen enough of Aurier. I haven't seen enough of Doherty to say whether he's going to be, you know, good enough. But I've seen enough of Aurier, and he's not. Um, so of the two, I'd go for Doherty. But I, but I, I, you, I, you can't put Doherty in the team based on this season. Yeah. So, if it yeah. was right back in contention for this particular Fumbind 11, it would have to be Aurea. But I, I think my argument would be that that if you look across that United back four from that season, and we'll get probably get to a couple more in yeah. a minute, like they they weren't anything flashy, but a, for the most part, they were fairly solid, good pros, experienced people Mourinho could trust. Whereas this Spurs back four looks decent on paper, but it's just full of mistakes. Full of mistakes. Lloris makes mistakes. Aurea makes mistakes. Dyer makes mistakes. Sanchez makes mistakes. Davis makes mistakes. So, like, personnel-wise, looking at them, there's very little difference. But I think, especially for a manager like Mourinho, he would want really good, solid pros. And I think that's why I would just give Valencia the edge, even if he was at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, that, you don't I get the side and vote. That. I don't get the side and vote. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Aaron does. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about this one. Um, I'm going to go with Pete. I think as good as Antonio Valencia was, and I agree with everything that Pete said about how how good he was. Arguably the best right back in the league, possibly for a time the best right back in the world. I think that just by that season, like Pete said his legs had just gone and such he wasn't a natural right back such a big part of his game was built around his athleticism his ability to get up and down absolutely body a man out of the way quick drilling crosses etc and I think by that season he, he couldn't do that anymore so yeah. if we were talking one year before that I'd take Valencia every day but if you were to say to me right now I have to build a team and who would I rather have the Aurier of this season and the form he's shown even if it is only temporary and he goes back in a few weeks to be in a bit mistake-laden, I'd still take that Serge Aurier right now over a, was he 35, 36-year-old Valencia? In that I don't think he's quite don't think he's quite that old, but he was certainly, yeah. I, I completely accept everything Pete said about him being past his best, you know, without being disrespectful to him. He was at that point. Um and yeah, you know, if you want to pick Aurier, that's fine. But trust me, in three weeks' time, when he's given away a penalty <laughs> away at West Ham and got sent off Southampton, you will we'll regret it. Well. <laughs> and then you quickly left back. I've gone with Regulon as well. Yeah. I think, like you say, there wasn't really much option from United. <clears throat> but contrary to the Mourinho's quotes on Valencia, there was a quote on Luke Shaw where Mourinho came out and said, he's got a, he had a good performance, but it was his body with my brain. And I think Mourinho was just trying to dig at him because he's saying he's the reason why well, even when Luke Shaw was playing he was looking okay because Mourinho was having to, to coach him up but I mean since then he's been one of our best players I mean we had a discussion at the start of the season when United signed Tellez yeah. Yeah. and I kind of said to you guys look I, I, I know Tellez is a good player but honestly Luke Shaw if he can stay fitting and win a game he's one of our best players Yeah, and that kind of shows with he won the player of the year in 18-19 who's brilliant following Project Restart. And then this season, I think everyone has seen how good Luke Shaw can be. Yeah, I think I think Shaw versus Regulon would be a good debate. Mm-hmm. Probably not one for today, but I, I mean, Shaw, Shaw certainly on this season has been the be- probably the best, best left-back on the league. Give Regulon 12 months, I think that would be a good debate. But um, yeah, it's been outstanding, I think, this year. Yeah. <laughs> right, we'll move on to the centre-backs then. So we've got... Unanimous agreement on the goalkeeper and left-back with Regulon. Didn't have agreement on the right-backs, but I've put my vote in and we've gone for Serge Aurier. So, Joe, do you want to hit us with your centre-backs? Yeah, I've gone for Alderweireld and Smalling at centre-half. 
So Alderweireld's not quite the defender that Jose wanted to sign for United at the at the end of the season. So I think it was in 20, at the end of the seventeen eighteen season he wanted Alderweireld, didn't get him. He's definitely not that kind of league leading defender that he is now. But for my money, he's still our best defender, mm-hmm. especially in a low block that Mourinho likes to play. Um, like I said, I reeled off all the names previously of you know Spurs players that make tons of mistakes. Toby hardly makes any. So he's lost his legs a bit, but he hardly makes any mistakes. And I think that's really important for us at the moment. Um, we've conceded 12 goals in the 14 Premier League games he started and we've conceded 10 in the eight that he hasn't. So, you know, he, he does make a difference for me. Um, yeah. Dyer's yeah. been Mourinho's first choice, but I think all of the fans would say that Toby's still our best defender. Um, I mean, yeah, alongside him, I've got, I've got Smalling. Um, I think Smalling's a little bit unfairly seen through this prism of being like not good enough for Man United. Mm. And that's like Man United as the you know, biggest club in the world, most successful club in England, that, that Man United. But actually, I still think he's a pretty good player. And I think he's proven that in the last couple of years at Roma. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I think he was Mourinho's first choice centre-half that year. Again, solid, not spectacular. I would trade in Chris Smalling for all three of our other centre-halves at the moment. Like, to, play, to play in the side, you've got Roden and Sanchez, who are a bit younger, a bit rawer. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, I would trade in Smalling for for any part, any other partner for Old Overworld. Fair. Good shout. I uh, can't argue again with any of that. What about you, Pete? Any counters to that? Um, no, so yeah, I agree on Alderweireld. Um I think the years he was someone that United were fans, whether the club were looking at him or not, I don't know, but United fans, I know, was a player that we were desperate to try and sign. He was just a consistent, solid Premier League centre-back and at one point was was up there with the best centre-backs in the, in the league. Hmm. Um my second centre back, I have, well, I have Davison Sanchez slash Smalling. I do agree with an extent to what Joe was saying on Smalling, but I think he has kind of been tarnished with a brush that's maybe slightly unfair. I think the other half of that is he's kind of unfortunately paired with Phil Jones, and you just kind of think they come as a yeah. Smalling and Phil Jones pairing. That's a really good point. Yeah, that is a good point. I think we all know Phil Jones. Unfortunately, hasn't sort of come to fruition and been the player there. That um, Ferguson once said it would be as good as Duncan Edwards. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, going Chris Smalling on his own and you know, showing he's on loan at Roma and wherever he he is a good centre back. And I would, I mean, I would put him in the in the Spurs team currently because they're playing Eric Dyer, who wouldn't get. I would not be putting him in my any United team at centre back. No. I think yeah. if we had, if you had Jose on the pod, he might be saying Eric Dyer in this position. But yeah. I uh, I certainly wouldn't be wanting Eric Dyer in my team. No, I just never rated him. Unfortunately, sorry, Joe. We can. Just don't have to apologise. Maybe apologise to Mr. Fish, Miss Fish Senior. He's a big Dyer fan, but I, I'm not so much. Uh, just he just doesn't convince me. So who are you going for then, Pete Smalling? Um, yeah, I mean Alderweireld and Smalling, I think would, yeah. would be my two. Yeah, I um I expected someone to to put up more of an argument for Davison Sanchez there, but I don't think you can massively argue with Alderweireld and Smalling. I think maybe was, in a couple of I years. I don't think he's not getting in the Tottenham team. Yeah, currently in diaries. I don't I don't know how I can put an argument for. That. If, if I was picking up teams, I'd be playing him in the Tottenham team. And from what I've seen him in the previous seasons, I meant I maybe made a would have made a stronger argument. Yeah, but yeah, he, he, he was playing. excellent, excellent in the first season um, that we got him, and he's just slightly regressed since then. And then he just he just makes a lot of mistakes. Just makes a lot of mistakes, and it's one of these like you know, yeah, you can have a seven out of ten, eight out of ten game for eight to five minutes, but if you make a mistake that costs a goal when you're a defender, that's irrelevant really. And that happens with Sanchez quite a lot. I saw something about him the other day that surprised me actually, is that he's only 24? Yeah, so he, he could still come good and go and make a really good career for himself elsewhere. I just don't think, I think Mourinho has made his mind up on him. Although he brought him back into the side at the weekend. I think that's another another kind of tick in Smalling's box, which is that like, Dyer has been in and out of the side in recent weeks. Sanchez has, Alderweireld has. He's brought Roden in and then dropped him. Smalling was, I think, Pete, when fit, pretty ever-present yeah. for United in that season. So he obviously had Jose's trust, whereas I'm not sure Jose actually trusts any of our defenders. <laughs> so we actually had, we actually bought um, Lindelof 
that summer, I think, and Bailly was at the club. So those two were there, but like I say, Smalling was sort of the ever-present in that back four, whereas those two were not quite getting a look in just yet. Yeah. Uh, and obviously getting a lot more of a look in now. So that's the goalkeeper and defence done. We've got De Gea in goal, Reguilon and Aurier as the full-backs, and then Alderweireld and Smalling as the two centre-halves. Pretty much unanimous agreement across the board so far on all of those. Only the right back that there wasn't an agreement on. But let's let's move into the midfield now. What formations are you guys playing? If you have got a four four two or four three three? I've got four three three. Four three three and Joe. Yeah, mine's yeah, mine's like a four three three four two three one. Okay, all right. So, Pete, do you want to start us off with your three midfielders? Yeah, so my three, I think I've actually got two United ones. So my team was heavily Spurs-based across the back four. Um, I've got a couple of United midfield players and one Spurs midfield player. So Pogba, for me, was in there. I think this is one of the seasons where Pogba had a good season. Okay. He had sort of 16 goal contributions for us. He had 10 assists, six goals. He he played 27 games that season, which if you could pick the last two or three years, he's missed a lot of football. Whereas this year, that year, he actually played quite a bit of football. And I think that shows as to why we managed to finish second. We had a player of his quality, actually, mm-hmm. playing towards the top end of his form. Um, the other sentiment I've got from United is Matic. Okay, yeah. The first season we was brought first, was Matic that his debut from Chelsea. Campaign? Yeah, so we bought him that summer. Mm-hmm. And um, he came in and he, yeah, he just played brilliant. He was, he was absolutely fantastic. And there's, then the questions going out from everyone to Chelsea saying, one, why have Chelsea sold this player? Yeah, and yeah. two, why have they sold him to United, one of their direct rivals? Because yeah. he, he had that big of an impact for us that year. Yeah, and I remember then, him being brilliant in his debut season. I just couldn't remember which debut, which season was his debut season. But yeah, I agree with you. He was, he was outstanding that year. And then, yeah, my third one is uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Yeah. I think he's been a brilliant signing for Spurs and every game I've watched, I was thinking he... He's a type of player that would slip into United's midfield currently, although the likes of McTominay and Fred have been playing well this season. He's that same type of player. I think it would be it would have been a good signing for us and he looks looks a great Mourinho type of player to anchor the midfield. Yeah, he looks like one of the signings of the season so far, doesn't he? I think every every week when we watch Spurs there'll be messages going back and forwards in the group about about how good he looks. I imagine you've got a thing or two you could say about him, Joe. Yeah, yeah, he makes my side as well. I think you know, there's been a lot of criticism of how bad Mourinho and Tottenham are to watch, and a lot of that is fair. But like, I think, you know, when people talk about watching football, they talk they they want to think about like free flowing, expansive attacking football. I've really, really enjoyed watching Hoiberg go about his business, and not in like a really flashy way where you know he takes on two players or that, but like just the way he presses, the way he tackles, all the smart fouls he makes. He's actually a, a bit of a better footballer as well than people probably think. He moves the ball forward through our midfield miles better than Sissoko or Winks did in previous seasons. He's been a huge upgrade for us. Um, so, yeah, big, big fan. He's like Jose's leader on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and is a, for me, is a shoe-in for this side. And I've actually got the same midfield as Pete because I, yeah. I, I thought about, you know, trying to manipulate it to get somebody like Ndombele in there. But we're, we're picking a team, let's not forget, for Jose Mourinho effectively. And yeah. this is a very Mourinho midfield for me. So he's got two holding midfielders and then um, a, a creative midfielder with a lot of physical qualities, even though he's not particularly defensively great. Um, you know, he, he, he Pop Rocks does offer defensive skills, like, you know, heading clear from corners and stuff like that. And, you know, he's quite rangy, gets across the pitch well. So um, I think this this is a, a, a midfield that Mourinho would love to have. Um, like like Pete said, Matic was a great signing. Um I can't believe Chelsea sold him after he made 30 starts in a title-winning season to a direct rival. He played more minutes that year than any Man United player. Um, and I'm, I'm really enjoying watching the development of Tanguy and Dombele over the last few weeks. But I can't claim that he's matching the kind of match-winning impact that Pogba can have when he's at his best. Mm-hmm. And he might not have been at his best this season, but he was pretty good, as Pete said, with those numbers. Um, so... Yeah, I, I can't put a case from Dombele over Pogba, so I think I think that midfield three sounds really good. Yeah, that's a, a cracking midfield, and again, 
there's other players that could be in with a shout, but I don't think there's anyone that you could realistically argue deserves to be in over any of those three. So, again, it's unanimous across the board there. It gives us a midfield three of Hoiberg, Matic and Pogba. Um, just Joe, so you've now got, what, two up front and someone playing off them? I've got two wingers and a striker, just as kind of talking about like this is a team for Mourinho. He doesn't mm. usually play two up top. Um, you know, we might get to somebody who's pretty unlucky to miss out in a bit because of that system. But I just, I went with a, basically a 4-3-3 or Pogba playing as a 10. So I've got two wingers and a striker. Brilliant. Well, do you want to give us your wingers? Yeah, I've got Son, who I think has to be a shoe-in. I think when we just started this debate last week in the chat and then thought, oh, let's save it for, you know, if I'm buying 11, my kind of argument was that Tottenham's top players from within this squad are, are better than anything United had at the time. But United probably had a stronger squad depth-wise. Um, and I think Son, as well as you know, somebody I'm sure that will come up in a couple of minutes, is one of those top players that would walk into, into that United 17-18 side. 17 goals, 10 assists and 32 games. He's kind of also got all the work ethic that Jose sometimes struggled to get out of the likes of Rashford and Martial. Yeah. So I think Jose has made no secret that he's an absolute joy to manage. Um, and I think, yeah, an absolute shoo-in for this side. Yeah. That. On the other side, I've basically done what Pete's done a little bit earlier on, which is a bit of a slash thing. And I basically said Rashford, Martial or even Lingard, who scored 13 goals that year. Like, um, there's going to be no Spurs third attacker getting anywhere near those numbers. Um, I think if I had to plump for one... I'd probably go Martial because it looked like Rashford had used a bit more from the bench that year. He was, he was substitute 18 times in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Martial played fewer games because I think he had injuries, but um, scored nine goals and 18 starts. Um, then again, ne- none of them are great off the right-hand side. Yeah. So, I mean, Pete might have something more to say about that. Like, is Lingard the most natural on the right there? But really, can you shoot on him in ahead of Rashford or Martial? Probably not. I'd just about go Martial if I had to choose. Martial, Okay. I'm right. Do you want to give us your wingers, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I have to say some predicament as Joe. Obviously, Son is a is a straight into the team. Yeah, I think you'll struggle to find any Spurs fan, non-Spurs fans that don't rate Son, love Son as a player, enjoy watching him play. Um, the right side of the attack, I struggled to pin someone. I mean, Spurs somewhere where Spurs think are lacking. They bought Bergwijn, but I don't think he has quite been. That's the player that they were hoping he's going to be. He passes the eye test, Bergwijn. Like, he looks good. He's really comfortable on the ball. He makes good runs, good movements. He's just this year not been able to finish anything off. So, I think he might come good. But certainly, yeah, certainly we, he either needs to improve or we need to improve in that area, definitely. Yeah, and then, obviously, United's options. Um, I did. I considered Marshall and Rashford, as, as sort of you mentioned, but... They're obviously both a little bit younger, a little bit before the impact they've had the last couple of years at United. Um, Lingard is a fair shout. I actually gone with um, Juan Mata. So he was someone that played quite a bit on that right hand side for us, and he he did a good job. And the, the only things you could sort of fault him for was that we didn't have enough pace down that right hand side. Mm-hmm. But he, he obviously that's not his fault. He doesn't have the pace, and he's got often quite asked to fill that right attacking position. And he did a great job that season. I think he played 28 games. He started 23. Um, number of goals, number of assists. And yeah, he, he kind of filled in for us there where we didn't have a player that could play off that right wing. So if I was going to pick a United player to be on that right wing and talk about the, the depth and the options that Mourinho had, I think Mata was probably his best option to play off that right-hand side. Yeah, and I think this is where, going back to what I said about the depth a couple of minutes ago, is where you could pick almost four Man United players in this position ahead of any Spurs player. Um, yeah. So I'm ha- if Pete wants to go matter, I'm happy with that. He's probably, of those four as well, the most natural coming off the right. I know it's not his most natural position, but certainly Rashford and Martial aren't as effective on the right-hand side. And as Pete said, we're still kind of, still kind of youngsters, really, in that season. Um, I've, I've always liked Matter. I don't think he's a really good, really good player. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm happy with with Mata. Really, if, you know, I'm happy for Pete to choose the Man guy on that right on the right wing. Yeah, it's not a 
There's not a, a great deal of, of standout performers there, but probably quite a few solid ones. And I think, yeah, what you said, Pete, as far as reliability goes, Matt is in with a, a, a fairer shout as anybody for that season. So, yeah, we'll put we'll put Matter on the right then. So that gives us Son on the left, Matter on the right. And I imagine you've both got the same guy up front who I feel like no one's going to be able to argue with, but it's going to be a little bit harsh on, on another guy. But do you want to give us your centre-forward anyway, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's pretty obvious it's going to be Harry Kane. Um I don't think there's much to be said about Kane that hasn't already been said by most pundits and most football fans. Um, so I'd probably allude to what I said about the United players unfortunate to miss out is Lukaku. Yeah. So um, Lukaku came into United that season and he was one of our best players. He, he scored 16 goals. He was our top scorer by a long way. I think he was our only player who scored double figures in the league that season. Um, he just kind of misses out for me in the the formation I'll probably pick so that I would have more Spurs players in. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Also, I don't think, I don't think it was Kane up front and then you have to play Son so I don't know what formation you're then squeezing Son, Kane, Lukaku into. Yeah. I think you'd be shoehorning Lukaku into that right-hand side spot which he he played a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah, was, I do remember a few games. Early Oli or late well, he, he played, it might have been early Oli I think. He, he played yeah. It. But definitely not, definitely not for him. Um, yeah, and it, like he had, a, he had a pretty decent year, Lukaku, but obviously can't make a case against Kane. I think Jose's made Kane more important to Spurs than he's ever been, um, as evidenced with the performances the last week or so when he wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty goals, fourteen assists, and thirty games. You know, I mean, as Aaron would say, they are Luis Suarez numbers. Yeah, they are. The um, AMD is up there with Luis, mate, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. You probably, have you got the direct line to Harry Kane like you do for Suarez? <laughs> Unfortunately not, nah. I wish. Is that your new, your new test on whether a striker is, is one of the world's greatest? Is, yeah. How do you compare to Suarez? Yeah. Put him against Suarez. Good as Suarez. Yeah. He's... Yeah, yeah, two exactly. more of the weekend though, isn't it? So, Aaron was proven right. Um, yeah, and like I didn't want to manipulate it away from like a genuine Jose Mourinho shape and try and like put Son as a 10 or like a midfield three and then Son as a 10 and Lukaku and Kane up front. So he is unfortunate to miss out, but Kane obviously has to play up, yeah. has to play up top. Yeah. But I think when you're up against the best centre forward in the world, it probably, it's just unfortunate, but there's a reason Kane's the best. Yeah. I think like when you look at what we've discussed over the attacking point of view, I think it gives even more credence to what I said about the depth because we're not going to go into subs now, but you'd have on that bench... Lukaku, Rashford, Martial, arguably yeah. Lingard, ahead of Bergman. Sanchez at that point. I think mean, in hindsight, yes, you'd like look back that, and he wouldn't be there, but at that point in time. Yeah, that's like I think I looked at Sanchez and thought and looked at like Deli Ali, and I, I'm kind of seeing them as like parallels that are like if you looked at those teams on paper, probably both of them could get in this side, but based on kind of their relationships yeah. with Mourinho or Sanchez had a few injury problems as well and only came in January, didn't he? So obviously can't make a case on to getting on these individual seasons. But, you know, if you're talking about just picking a, a squad between those teams, you might even drop Pogba a position, have have uh, Ali as 10 and have Sanchez on the right wing. And that's a serious side then. Um, not that Mourinho would ever play that many attacking players, but I think, I think you'd be looking at a fairly United heavy bench anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I kind of agree. I think that's when I sort of put this out there on Twitter to sort of challenge your your yeah. quote of, of this being Mourinho's worst squad. It just sprung straight to mind that we had a, a pretty average team that um, he got it to second place. But I think that's kind of, we were average across the board and lacked the sort of star power to take us to the next level. Your, your Harry Kane's, your sons. Yeah. But when you look deep into the squad, he had that rotation options. We spoke about Mata, we spoke Lingard, Martial, Rashford. I think another midfielder I would have put forward is Ander Herrera, that I was gutted to let yeah. that when he left United. I think he was he just put you a seven eight in every single week. Mm-hmm. He won the ball back, he moved it well, he was buzzing around the pitch. He's someone that someone that we missed in centimetre when he left. Yeah, likewise I think I would like I would have Herrera in ahead of Winks, Sissoko, etc. So he would be another one on the bench. The defence, like we kind of said, is much for muchness, but just a, an argument over solid pros against high potential players with mistakes. 
But um, yeah, no. that his, uh, his weaknesses are the same position. You're looking at right wing. You can never really get himself a yeah lockdown right winger. Not had a good right winger since Ian Robin, maybe. <laughs> do you think there's an argument though for when you say about squad depth? Do you think there's an argument though that United squad depth isn't necessarily greater? It's just that Jose was able to get more out of these players. So you could easily say, well, Spurs don't actually have an issue with the right wing at all because they've got players that are very capable of playing there. They're just not playing to their best. Whereas you look at that United team and they had to play Matter out there, who's undoubtedly a talented player, but he's not a winger. Do you think that it is a case of Spurs do have these players and they do have quite good squad depth, the likes of Sanchez not getting in that centre-half? but Jose's just not getting the best out of them, where at United, he got the best out of players like Chris Small in that season. I, th- I think there is some some credence to that, but also, like I think if Tottenham fans spoke honestly about how they felt three years ago when Pochettino had a really good side, they didn't think Lucas Moura was good enough then. They didn't think Lamella was good enough then. They didn't think Winks, Sissoko, Davis, Dyer were good enough then. So why are they good enough now? Um, just because Mourinho's not getting a little bit more out of them than, or because Mourinho's getting less out of them than Pochettino was. But people still weren't like big fans of those players anyway. I don't think there's many individuals in the squad with massive untapped potential that Mourinho's not getting enough out of. Deli Ali is the obvious exception. Yeah. If Mourinho can get, a, you know, is brave enough for one, to play and Dombley and Ali in the same side and get and, and get Ali in there, maybe maybe Ali scores scored five six goals by now, won his two three games and we're mm-hmm. up in fourth third and that might be where we're really lacking. But yeah, I think I think um, I think that, yeah, it's a fair point. Maybe Mourinho still had a little bit more of his magic back then to rub off on players. Maybe the United sacking saw him lose some of that. I'm not sure. What, what do you reckon, Pete? Yeah, I think that's a fair point to raise. I mean, earlier, Joe, you alluded to Jesse Lingard as a potential option you would consider on the right wing yeah. and the sort of value that he brought to the team that year. But I think if you looked at it on paper and you said, who was better, Jesse Lingard or Bergwijn? Although we've not seen a huge amount of Bergwijn, I, I think I would struggle to, to back Jesse Lingard and say he's a better footballer than Bergwijn is. I think yeah. Mourinho just managed to get performances out of him that season. Yeah, and he, he point, created yeah. roles that he'd be able to succeed in. Yeah, no, so I think it's probably, a, it's definitely a lot closer than I thought when I made that comment. And I, and I think that the 11, I don't know if Ravonna runners through it in a second, yeah. might even be slightly Spurs centric, might even be six Spurs to five United, I'm not sure. Yeah, it is. It's six, then, six, six Spurs, five United. Yeah, so I think that, I, I wouldn't argue with that either. Just think that that depth of, not even that depth of quality, but just that depth of, sometimes experience, wisdom yeah. and a little bit of, you know, high ceiling youngsters in Rashford and Martial. Um, I think I, mean, yeah, that, I mean, at the time, Mkhitaryan was another player that United had on the books that at the time was regarded as a, a decent enough player to be there. Yeah. Again, that didn't quite materialise, but I think, I think you're right. When I looked into the squads, there was more options at United to potentially look at and think, what what was he like? Whereas you look at the Spurs team and there's, there's kind of the starting 11 they have and there's a, the few people that get on the bench. And then beyond that, there really isn't that much going to. I mean, it's seen when Spurs have Kane out or Son out. There's just a real... I mean, yeah. I think anyone would miss those two players. Probably not yeah. the best example, but even in midfield, yeah, but, you, you have a limited number of players to call upon. Yeah, but I think to back up Aaron's point, that United side isn't a second place in the Premier League team and this Tottenham side isn't an eighth place in the Premier League team. So mm-hmm. they're probably both like, I would say that United is definitely a top four side and Spurs is arguably a top four side. Yeah. So there's not, there's not much in it and no. clearly Mourinho got more out of those players than he's getting out of these. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's, the, yeah, I think that's the fairest way of looking at it. Right, yeah. So we've, um, we've done that. I think that's an all right team there. So we've got De Gea in goal. Fullbacks got Regulon and Aurier. Um, we've got Alderweireld and Smalling at centre-backs. Um, midfield three of Hoiberg, Pogba and Matic. Got Son on the left, Mata coming in from the right, and then Harry Kane doing what he does up top. So that leaves us with five United players and six Spurs players. 
and a pretty decent looking team. I think you'll agree. Yeah, I think. Obviously, it kind of represents the current United team. I think we're missing, we're still missing centre backs, and we're missing a right winger and a right winger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably the fair for both teams. Put a decent right winger and decent centre back in. Yeah. It's a very good team with all those players at the peak, but probably an issue that's affecting both of you this season, especially yeah. United. We both, you just both need Pete Terry and Pete Robin, obviously. Yeah, that's all it is. Or like I don't know, Paddy McNair from us or something like that, and you'll be winning the league. Yeah, or, yeah, that's it. Pete Terry or McNair. Slash McNair. Might be on the books yeah, actually that season. Paddy McNair at United, or was it? Was he, close to the, was he close to the side? He'd get on the bench ahead of Dyer in current form, I reckon. <laughs> he would. He's, he's a Premier League centre back, no doubt. You're not changing my mind. Put it this way: he's better than Axel Tuanzebe, Pete. Let's <laughs> not start on the Tuanzebe talk, but yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll side with you on that one, Aaron. Yeah. Okay. Right, well, thanks for joining us, Pete. I think that'll be that'll be everything for, for this week. Um, we've, we've rambled on nicely there. Got a good team, some good guardian leave. It's been a, another, hopefully, good episode. Um, anything else you'd like to add before we go, Pete? Uh, no, just obviously thank you guys for having me on. It's an honour to be on a, a guest on the Table 442 podcast. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the episode and see, uh, see what the gardening leave options are. I just don't want to hear what we said about you before you come on, is all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut that out of the edit. Yeah, maybe skip, yeah, like minutes 15 to 20 of yeah, this week's episode. Just wait till you hear yourself and then start from there. Right. <laughs> and anything else from you, Joe, mate? No, nothing nothing for me. Just to say, you know, if you're, if you're listening, you know, drop us a review on, on Apple Podcasts if, you, if you've got the time. Um, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram share as much stuff as you can tell your friends just to spread the word a little bit that would be greatly appreciated yeah all right well that's everything for this week thank you for listening guys we'll we'll catch you again soon bye bye